Online, welcome to Catholic View. I'm Sheila Pirsch. Thank you so much for joining me this Friday evening. Coming up in today's broadcast, we take a look at the latest developments from the Catholic Lesotho Commission of Justice and Peace. We also learn a little bit more about the Mombasa Catholic CBHC services. But first, a quick look at some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa. So do stay tuned. This is Archbishop Buti Kakale of the Catholic Diocese of Johannesburg. You are listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. And in your headlines this Friday evening, attacks on South African migrants have widespread effects. South Sudan bishops decry war crimes. And Pope Francis helps struggling companies by buying their products. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Pirish. As famine spreads in South Sudan, the nation's bishops issued a pastoral message in which they pleaded again for an end to the nation's civil war and decried war crimes committed by both sides. The bishops said that this famine is man-made and lamented the scorched earth policy that has contributed to the famine. They also decried increased attacks on churches. Meanwhile, the relief agency Christian Aid has appealed to the international community to do more to resolve the crisis in South Sudan. Some 100,000 people are facing starvation in Unity State, while a further 1 million are classified as being on the brink of famine. On Wednesday, Pope Francis called for concrete action to get food aid to famine victims in the world's newest nation. Nick Gutman, head of the Humanitarian Division at Christian Aid, spoke to Vatican Radio's Lydia O'Kane about the desperate situation facing many people in that country. The situation in South Sudan has been deteriorating for the last year or so, but I suppose it's got especially bad uh, since the middle of last summer. We've been talking about and trying to raise the profile of South Sudan, as have many other aid agencies, telling the world that if things were not, are not done, both on trying to improve the security situation and then move for peace, but also just in providing humanitarian assistance, the situation would get worse and worse and worse. And now we see the dreadful situation as in, with 100,000 people in actually a famine situation. What are the immediate needs right now for the people there? The immediate need, above all, is always peace and security so people can go back to their homes. But in terms of the relief supplies, we need to be providing food and uh, other uh, non-food items uh, to help to help them survive. They need to be nutrition programs and uh, need uh, support so people can, uh, you know, those who are in the worst situation can have the food that they need. But the conflict is ongoing. We need the peace and security. But uh, we need to be able to work within those very difficult conditions. So, you know, giving people sort of fishing nets, fishing hooks, those sorts of things. You know, a lot of people who were fleeing into the swamps, and if they've got a fishing hook, fishing nets, they can actually catch the very plentiful fish there. So that will at least give them some food to sustain themselves if they're forced from their homes. So it's a whole area of work that needs to be done very urgently. 
The Office of Papal Charities this week helped out the earthquake-hit regions of central Italy at the express wish of Pope Francis, buying typical food products from local producers and distributing it to several soup kitchens in Rome. Pope Francis has transformed his concern for those who go through difficult situations into actions. This week he told the caretaker of the poor asking for help from the Vatican to buy food from small companies in areas affected by earthquakes in Italy. These resulting food purchases have been served in the Vatican's charity dining rooms. The aim is to encourage this sector of the Italian population not to lose hope and to continue fighting to rebuild their lives. In early January, the Pope met with many of them in one of the most emotional meetings of recent months in the Vatican. Also in October, the Pope visited the areas most affected by the earthquakes by surprise and prayed before the ruins of villages completely devastated. Back home, xenophobic violence has returned to South Africa with recent attacks on foreign-owned shops. Here is VOA News, Anita Powell. Bigglesworth Chimango ran this successful African restaurant for six months. But now he is shutting it down just days after his neighbor's shop in this Pretoria neighborhood was trashed by angry residents who accused foreigners of bringing in crime and taking away jobs. Residents say this shop was run by a Pakistani family. They fled after this week's attack, and Chimango, who is Zimbabwean, says he does not want to be next. That's why I decided, like, it's not safe anymore. As you can see, my neighbor just next door, they just looted everything from his shop. And uh, I mainly believe these are just like ordinary thugs. It's not like uh, every South African who wants these people out. But uh, there are people who are frustrated about having jobs and thinking that all the foreigners, they come here to take their jobs. The violence has also affected local business people. This South African-owned restaurant was also forced to close because of the chaos. They opened days later, but with no food to sell. On Monday, they came in, they told me to close the shop. I said, why? They said, uh, if you don't, we're going to break uh, uh, the entrance, those gates, and then everything. Even at the gate, the, if you can check, the gate is, is, is broken. They break everything. They use my gate, they use my entrance to go to that Pakistan shop to break at the back. Xenophobic violence is not new to South Africa, which is a magnet for migrants from around Africa. Attacks in 2015 left at least seven people dead. Nor are the underlying causes new. Systemic inequality, high unemployment, and racism have plagued South Africa since the end of apartheid in 1994. Activists blame the government. It's just very interesting that since 1994, our unemployment levels have stayed at between 25 to now 30 percent. You can't blame foreign nationals for that unemployment level. It's chronic, systemic unemployment. What is our government doing to create put in place policies that uh, allow for, for a decent jobs. Chimango said he had a solution. About half of his small restaurant staff were South Africans. Now they, like him, are gone. This Friday, the African National Congress, the ANC, 
singled out Jobek Mayor Herman Mashaba for making anti-foreigner remarks, saying that it was his comments that preceded the spate of attacks on foreigners. Mashaba's pompous call in December 2016 for foreigners to leave his city, declaring that all foreigners in the province were illegal, in fact preceded the spate of attacks on foreigners, said ANC spokesperson Zizi Kodwa in a statement. The ANC's condemnation comes after a group calling themselves the concerned Mamelodi residents decided to host a march in Pretoria against foreign nationals. Despite police vowing to ensure that the protest action that took place in the capital city of Tswane would go safely, incidents of looting and vandalism were reported. Orlando Bloom, the British actor and goodwill ambassador for the UN's Children's Fund, UNICEF, recently travelled to Difa in southeast Niger, where he met with children and families displaced by an insurgency led by Boko Haram militants. The Difa region currently hosts over 240,000 internally displaced persons, refugees, as well as retunees, including 160,000 children. Lucidine reports from UN News. The uprising by the Boko Haram Islamic militant group began eight years ago and was mainly contained in and around northern Nigeria. The violence has now spread to three other countries, Niger, Chad and Cameroon. More than 2.3 million people have been forced out of their homes because of the violent attacks and abductions carried out by Boko Haram, but also because of an ongoing regional military offensive to flush insurgents out of the West African region. Hundreds and thousands of children across the region are displaced and are at risk of malnutrition. By going to Niger, UNICEF Goodwill Ambassador Orlando Bloom hoped to shed light on the gravity of the humanitarian crisis unfolding in the Lake Chad Basin. As a father, Mr Bloom said, it was hard for him to hear the grim stories about children fleeing on foot and leaving everything behind, including the safety of their homes and classrooms. Mr Bloom has supported UNICEF since 2007. The mandate of the UN Integrated Peace Building Office in Guinea-Bissau has been extended by the Security Council for another year amidst ongoing political turmoil in the West African nation. Jocelyn Sambira reports from UN News. According to media reports, hundreds of protesters marched in the capital Bissau on Thursday to demand the departure of President José Mario Vaz. Meanwhile, the council has urged all political actors in the country to implement the provisions of the Conakry Agreement, named after the Ghanaian town where it was signed. The agreement was signed in October last year, following talks between political leaders, civil society and religious leaders of Guinea-Bissau. The talks were hosted by the regional bloc ECOWAS, the economic community of West African states. However, the implementation of the agreement and the ECOWAS roadmap has been challenging, the UN says. In 2014, the West African nation concluded a second round of presidential elections, which are widely seen as essential to restoring constitutional order, economic growth and development following a 2012 military coup. And finally, on a lighter note, one of Joburg's biggest authentic cultural food and music events, the Lozitu Land Festival, is back from the 26th of April to the 1st of May 2017. And this year's festival will mark the 36th year of the wildly loved Portuguese extravaganza. Noemia Content is the spokesperson for Lozitu Association. Yes, every year it has been a success. And, and we decided to change venues. And we bought a stand in near Eye of Africa. Um, the reason for our moving is that we, it's 
we found that it's safer, there will be ample parking within the venue, um, and you know what, and it's, it's, I think it's our own land, <clears throat> so it, it facilitates a lot of um, things. We have been very successful, we hold it every year, and this is, it's very important for us to, to be very successful because this is what maintains the school for the year. Well, we have amazing, amazing entertainment, local entertainment. We also have all our folk dancers and our our community singers, which are very important to us. We need, you know, to showcase, and it's it's wonderful that we have them on the ground. Okay, we have the the fun fair for the children. Um, we have an, the restaurants. We have a few bars. We have two coffee shops. So it's it's an it's an amazing event for families to come out and, and for the day, and and to just to stroll around and to, to sit around and watch the entertainment. It's it's amazing. We need everybody to attend our successes, our patrons. And those were your headlines this Friday evening. You're listening to Catholic View on Radio Veritas, 576 AM, otherwise on 870-DSTV-Audio-Bouquet, as well as online. Simply log on to our website, radioveritas.co.ca. I'm Sheila Pierce. Thank you so much for joining me once again. Coming up next is our feature slot. The Catholic Commission for Justice and Peace, otherwise known as the CCJP, was founded as national agency of the Lesotho Catholic Bishops' Conference. It is mandated to promote and foster research, education, advocacy and action on social justice, peace and human rights, integrating them into the lives of Catholics and Basotho at large, and thus provides a credible voice on such matters. I spoke to the Executive Secretary of the CCJP, Mr. Boy Mohabi, about the latest developments in Lesotho and the highly anticipated reopening of Parliament. The Justice and Peace Commission uh, of the Lesotho Catholic Bishops' Conference in Lesotho, the, the national agency of the Catholic Church, is, is working in, in Lesotho as a national agency coordinating the works that are being done in four dioceses of Lesotho. And we are engaged in four thematic areas. We are working in the parliamentary liaison program where we monitor proceedings in parliament and we do submissions and we do hearing, public hearings. But over and above, we engage with different MPs and government ministries. But uh, over, uh, another, another major program that we undertake is the peace building program, which we, in the recent years, we, we have been, we have been working with the Dennis Halley Peace Institute of the Southern African Bishops Conference, where we we do uh, peace building in the parishes, peace building in the in the villages affected by uh, you know internal and, and local uh, conflicts. We also do quite a lot of mediation at, at the national level, uh, where political uh, tension exists. That, that that we do through the the, the hierarchy of the church, the bishops. But, but we also do quite a lot of uh, awareness raising and civic and, and political education. Uh, another another problem that we undertake as CCJP Lesotho is, is uh, it has to do with uh, uh, mining mining justice. 
we, in the in the light of, of the the recent uh, papal encyclical Laudato Si, we we do a lot of environmental awareness, um, uh, environmental education, and advocacy around environment, uh, as as it were. But also we monitor mining mining activities. As you may be aware, the Sotho, the the mining mining industry is, is a very very new uh, 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 industry in Lesotho. So we do we do a lot of monitoring in terms of compliance with, with the, 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 the the legal frameworks with the environmental impact assessments. And we also sensitize and empower communities around mining areas to ensure that they, they are able to claim their space, to claim their rights, also to participate and and, 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 and negotiate with the with the mining bosses. That's that 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 that, that is that is in a nutshell what we do in the in the, in the mining area, but also in the human rights. Uh, section we do we do uh, quite a lot of human rights education, human rights monitoring, human rights awareness, and human rights uh, monitoring as, as it were. So the, those are those are the four uh, major 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 uh, thematic areas areas in which as the the Catholic Commission we work. But well, as you know, we have the Catholic social teaching as a cross cutting uh, issue, which we which which actually informs. All our programs. All right. Now you mentioned quite a number of things that you do. I can see the department there is quite busy and quite involved as well. But now speaking of, uh, you know, taking part in the in Parliament, uh, you mentioned that you are also part of the Parliamentary Liaison Office. You also have the Peace Building Project. You also mentioned, of course, mediation. Mediation, and uh, that's, of course, uh, when it comes to political tension or any other type of mediation that is needed, besides the fact that the bishops are the ones dealing with this. How involved was the church, or, what, or rather was the Catholic Commission for Justice and Peace involved when it came to the political tension there in Lesotho? And I believe Parliament was to resume today or resume today. How involved were you guys? We have been very much, very much involved in, in, terms, of, in terms of keeping a close eye on the, on the latest developments, on, on what is happening and what, 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 what transpires on day-to-day basis, but also to, to, to keep the bishops informed so, so, so that when they, when they have to speak, then they, they speak with all the information, like, like it has been the case two weeks ago after their plenary session, they issued a pastoral uh, letter, which they, they, they actually spoke very strongly uh, on, on the situation itself. As you all know, that uh, there has been a, a looming vote of no confidence uh, on the Mosesidis government. So there were also quite a number of uh, political threats, political uh, 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 victimization of the 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 opposition side, and there were quite a now a lot of uh, uh, arbitrary arrests by the police uh, on the side of the 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 the, 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 uh, the opposition followers and opposition leadership. So that those are the issues that we have been following very closely and advising the bishops then to to, to kind of speak. And then the, the, the bishops issued a very strong statement in that regard. And I think it was it was distributed was very widely both in Lesotho and, and and beyond. So we have been following closely. Even today, our our guys 
as we have an accreditation in in sitting in in the in the gallery in, in the parliament to observe what 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 was what is happening and even today as as the the, the, the sitting the first sitting of the fifth uh, uh, session of the of the ninth parliament we were we were watching very closely what was happening and we have been very much very very much involved now what other latest developments uh, do you have under the catholic commission for justice and peace well the the, the latest developments that, that i can talk about currently is that we are currently undertaking two major 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 uh, studies we have just embarked on a on a on a on a on a, on a mega study on the on the uh, situation in our in our in our presence in the Soto, in our correctional services, and also looking at the compliance of those uh, correctional services in terms of the human rights treaties and human rights uh, instruments that the Soto is party to. Also taking into consideration the, the basic principles that uh, of, of the social teachings of the church. And that study has just been completed, and we are about to, to distribute it uh, as we speak. And the study we was was undertaken through the University of South Africa, OSISA. So we we employed the, the University of South Africa to, to undertake the study. Another another major major study that we we are about to that we have undertaken is with regard to the 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 the, 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 the state the state of of human of. Of, of economic, social, and cultural rights in Lesotho. As, as you know, Lesotho's uh, Bill of Rights in, only includes the, the, the political and civil rights. The, the, the economic and social rights are not necessarily in the, in the Bill of Rights. They, they form part, what, part of what they call principles of the state policy. So we wanted to, 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 to test and engage as to how far Lesotho is complying and compliant to the to the economic, uh, social and cultural rights instruments because they are signatory and they ratified all those uh, all those uh, instruments. So we are we are we came up with uh, with a very intensive uh, paper which we we presented uh, on Monday on, on this very same recent uh, Monday we had a, a seminar of civil uh, society organizations where we presented that we presented that that paper to 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 sensitize civil society on the on the same issue of the status of Lesotho in the, in, in terms of economic and social uh, cultural rights so those are those are the the, the, the major uh, developments which have have just, uh, just just come up but over and above uh, you will remember that the bishops uh, sit every every year especially in the beginning of the year and they have just come from uh, the bishop's plenary, where we take our mandate from, so we have just presented our our this year's resolutions or rather uh, recommendations of what things we want to undertake this year, and we are awaiting the business session, which is about to take place next week, where bishops will approve those activities, and then upon the approval, then we'll be sure that these are the activities that we'll be carrying out uh, throughout the year until. The next reporting session. Touching on the issue of human rights, I see that you had not so long ago a, a human rights awareness meeting for students to combat GBV, that's gender-based violence. How did that go and how often do you have such um, workshops? Well, that was, was, was actually influenced by the fact that there was, a, there was an, an unfortunate uh, happening in one, of, uh, in one of the schools in the, in the Kachas Diocese where Students were raped by 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 by, by robbers 
who robbed them of their, their pocket money and then raped three students. But that was not in our school, but it was on another school. But because of that incident, then we decided to visit our Catholic school to sensitize these girls because it's a very, very close school to the school where this, this unfortunate situation happened. And we had to go and sensitize those girls because it's a, it's a girls' school. And they, they reside there with the sisters, and they, they, are, they are very much vulnerable. So we had to go to that school and sensitize those students on the, on the gender-based violence, and we invited police and other, other government agencies who are dealing with these issues to, to try and talk to the girls. But over and above, we are fundraising to help the school uh, uh, erect the, the fence, because, you know, the school is, there's no fence around the, the boarding, the boarding uh, facility where the, the girls are residing. So this very coming Saturday, we will be having an, uh, uh, what, do you, what do you call a, a, a photo gallery. So where uh, people, people who are, who are, who are involved, all stakeholders in the gender-based violence will be, will be coming to make presentations and to donate money that will be given to the sisters to, to erect a, a fence around the boarding school. I was speaking there to Mr. Boy Mohapi, the Executive Secretary of the Catholic Lesotho Commission of Justice and Peace. The Mombasa Catholic CBHC Services was founded in 1996 by the late missionary brother John Mullen of the Marinol Fathers and Brothers. CBHC is a non-political and non-profit charity run by the Catholic Archdiocese of Mombasa, Kenya, which provides a community-based, comprehensive and free service to the poor of Mombasa, especially people living with HIV and AIDS. All medical care, preventative, counseling and support is done totally through and within the moral teachings of the Catholic faith. I caught up with missionary Jane Njeri Chege, a volunteer from Mombasa Catholic CBHC Services, who is in South Africa to learn more about Catholic health care services. The organization is called Mombasa Catholic CBHC Services. Um, it deals mainly with HIV and AIDS projects. And normally we are volunteers, meaning we are working with the families that are within our community using the government strategy. In Kenya, before we go door to door to visit our clients, uh, we go through the chiefs, the village elders, to reach out to the community. So we are with the church, but we also get support from our government of Kenya. You're working, like you said, mainly with HIV and AIDS. How do you educate people about how do you create awareness about um, HIV and AIDS? How do you teach people to prevent themselves, you know, from a Catholic perspective? Normally, uh, um, for example, in, within the Catholic Church, we cannot talk about condom use. We cannot talk about, uh, let's say, family planning. Mm -hmm. But we teach mainly on abstinence. And you see, abstinence is the main core value in stopping prevention of HIV and AIDS. Yeah, so that is one way we, we use by outreaches.
and even going door to door because HIV is not something people like to talk about openly. But once we get people who are able to talk about it openly, then we do the outreaches. But those who do not want to talk about it openly, we go door to door. We have one-on-one sessions with families and we are able to do that. Mm -hmm. Yes. And uh, would you be able to tell us in terms, not exactly of specific numbers, but in terms of HIV and AIDS transmissions in Kenya, how serious or how bad is it? Two years ago, uh, HIV was high among the uh, married couples. But of late, we see that it is among the youths. Uh, from maybe 13 years to about 19 years. So we find the prevalence has gone high among the youth, but within the marriages or the high-risk people like the prostitutes, it's gone down because they've gotten the education, they are open about it. You know, you cancel uh, couples before they get married and you tell them about HIV and AIDS. But our youth these days in Kenya and almost everywhere now, if we look at the data, let's say, like from the UN AIDS, you find that the youth are more at prone for HIV and AIDS. The work that you do as a volunteer with the Catholic Church, how is it that you are able to carry on this job and go from door to door in terms of funds? Who's funding you to do your work? Um, in Kenya, uh, a donor can be me and you. Yeah, we don't have to depend on the many people or the many big organizations like Red Cross who sometimes support us. Sometimes we get uh, like uh, UN AIDS supporting us. You know, we get global funds supporting us. But just me and you, we are the ones who can support our own families. We are the ones who can support our neighbors. We are the ones who can support our friends because we are either directly or indirectly with them. They are the ones who are affected. They are the ones who are sick. They are the ones we care for. So apart from the big donors and apart from the church, who these days the donors prefer to go through the church because there is less corruption, so it becomes easier you know, like working through the church. And it's a way of giving back to the community, um, being a volunteer. Yes. Very good stuff, very yes. good stuff. But then, like you said, you know, talking about HIV and AIDS, it's something that most people don't like to talk about and uh, understand that most African countries are very conservative when it comes to talking about sexual education, for example, and talking about all the different types of STDs that they are there. But now, how do you then go about from door to door and you are able to sit down with the family and talk especially to the young ones about the seriousness when it comes to HIV and AIDS. Okay, there are two ways of going about that. One, you can use the same age group to talk to the same age people. Uh -huh. Yeah. So if you're targeting teenagers, you can use teenagers to do that. If you're targeting single mothers, use single mothers because they, sh they wear the same shoe. That's then true. another way of doing it, every family has got somebody they look up to. Let's say it's a priest. Mm -hmm. Let's say it's an elder sister or an elder brother or even the village elder. You know, there are places where people run for security too. You know, so like in Mombasa, in Kenya, many people will run for help 
to the village elder who is in charge of the community there. So we use these barazas, we call them barazas, where you meet the community yeah. and talk with them. So he invites them over and we talk about it. So when we are able to do that, we are able to reach out to them. For the small children, of course, we like to use their mothers. If their mothers are not able, because not every mother might be available for their children, we try and use a close-knit family member who will be able to advise them as they grow depending on their ages. Yes. So a sex education is quite important in every family. Yes. Be it Catholic or non-Catholic, yes. and it starts at home. Yes. Parents should be able to teach their children, talk to their children about, you know, the proper steps to take when it comes to engaging in such activities. Yes. And, of course, the best way would be abstinence yes. and wait until the right time. Yes, faithfulness. Exactly. Yes. exactly. <laughs> yes. Now, before I let you go, tell us what brings you to South Africa. Well, I came to visit long-time friends, yeah. friends I've not seen for years, over 20 years ago. Yes, but again, I also wanted to visit the many shelters that are in South Africa and uh, that the Catholic Church is in charge of, like Mother, Ter uh, Mother Teresa. There's a Nazareth home. I've been able to see those two shelters, and they're really doing a good job. And um, most of these shelters... They're being supported by the community in South Africa, which is giving back. And that is something for me that really touches me, to see that people are able to come together to support such projects for their own people. Yeah, so that's what brings me. And yeah, of course, to, to see how HIV and AIDS in South Africa is just being dealt with and how they are handling it and how they are very positive about it, yeah, uh, so that there are zero infections, you know, and zero deaths. And that was Jane Ninjeri Chegi, a volunteer at the Catholic CBH Services in Mombasa, Kenya. You've been listening to your Friday's edition of Catholic Viewer, a program produced and presented by Sheila Pirsch for Radio Veritas. Should you wish to contact me, feel free to send me an email, Sheila at radioveritas.co.za. Thank you once again for listening. I'll be back on Tuesday at the same time. Until then, do have a blessed weekend. God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Sheila Pirsch. <laughs>